Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Felix Francis. Felix has written 16 books, taking over the reins from his dad, champion jockey and prolific bestseller Dick Francis, which is why that's a brilliant pun, I need to point that out. We talk about how his style has changed since taking over the writing, also how he mixes things up to keep it fresh. And why the challenge isn't just writing well once, but keeping it going and going and going. Anyone could write a, a, a thousand words in a day. I mean, on anything, really. A thousand words is not much. It's two or three pages. Um, anyone could write a thousand words. The difficulty is writing a thousand words today and another thousand tomorrow and another thousand the day after and another thousand the day after that and so on. And they've all got to link together. That's what's the difficult part. It's not the number of words you can write down in a day. It's making those words tie together with the words that are already in the book and the words that are to come. There is more with Felix Francis in this week's Writer's Routine. Welcome along, it's Writer's Routine, where we take a look inside an author's working day to see how they get things done, to see how they take that idea, they plan their day, their space, their life around giving them the best chance to be creative. Uh, My name is Dan, thank you for finding us, thank you for being there and listening. Uh, This week we're with Felix Francis, crime thriller writer who has just published a new book in the Dick Francis canon series pantheon whatever you call it uh, the book is hands down now before we get into it the eagle-eared uh, amongst you might remember if you tend to stick right to the end of these shows uh, last week i said we would have the nobel prize winner abdul razak gurner on the show the thing is the recording didn't come out too well at all which is frustrating for both of us but these things happen and they've not happened too much at all uh, in the five or so years of this podcast uh, and I just thought it, it it would be underselling it for, for everyone to stick it on the regular podcast feed I, I might put it on Patreon if you're a subscriber that's not a sell for you to do it by the way but if you are uh, if you are a backer at Patreon you might see that pop up in the next few weeks or so. And if you do want the full recording to see how a Nobel Prize winner does it, and if you're happy to listen through 
us chatting in what sounds like the middle of a churning tsunami. Maybe keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, but it won't come up in the regular feed. This week, in crystal clear quality, uh, it's Felix Francis. Now, he worked as a teacher, then into business, before taking over managing his dad's work. His dad was Dick Francis, who was uh, a doer, I think it's fair to say. He was in the RAF, then became a champion racing jockey. And then, in the third act, was a best-selling and prolific author. Towards the end of his life, his son Felix started writing the books too. And we talk about that transition, how it came about, how much pressure Felix felt, and how he came to have his own style after a little while. You can hear what it was like growing up in what he calls a fiction factory. Learning writing from his dad, from Noel Coward, from Agatha Christie, only maybe not as much as he wish he had have done. We talk about his word count, why he sets it, but often at the start anyway, doesn't really meet it, and why that doesn't actually bother him. And you can hear why writing easy reading is a bit more of a challenge than you might think. And we run through his new novel. It's called Hands Down. It sees Sid Halley back facing a conspiracy and a threat to the heart of horse racing. And we get into it, as we always do, with what he sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. Well, um, I normally write in my office at home. That's the best place for me. Um, I like it to be quiet. And, and what I see is um, books, um, because I have bookcases on the walls, and uh, of course, um, and uh, I look at the photographs on my desk. I've got a photograph of my father and a photograph of my mother flying an aeroplane, and my children are on the wall in front of me somewhere um, uh, over by the door. And But all of that disappears because I concentrate on the screen. Um, And actually, I could write anywhere. Provided it's quiet. I don't like music and I don't like people talking, uh, but I can write on aeroplanes and trains. Um, in fact, anywhere where I can uh, find somewhere to plug in my laptop. So you've got your nice photos all, all around you, reminding you of, of who you are and where you've come from and, and the people perhaps you're doing this for. Uh, is there anything uh, practical uh, around you? I, I mean... Uh, post-it notes, notebooks with uh, plot ideas in, uh, a, a sketch out, a whiteboard, anything like that? No, I don't use a whiteboard. I do use um, notes. Um, when I'm researching things, I, I'll write things down on, an, on a notepad, normally a notepad nicked from a hotel. Um, and uh, I have a television screen on my desk so that I can see the comings and goings at the, at the front gate because I'm... Uh, quite away away from the front door and the front gate. So uh, I can see my wife coming and going, and, and, and I don't feel so isolated. But uh, when, I, when the writing's going well, I really don't look anywhere else. I'm just concentrating on the, on the page in front of me. Uh, it's only when things are not going so well that I sort of wander around and play with things in my office. But um, uh, I hope that doesn't happen too often. You say you can write anywhere when you're at home. Uh, I mean, if you've got gates that are set a little bit away from where you are, perhaps that means you've got quite a nice garden. Do you, do you ever take yourself outside for, for, the, for the fresh air to, to stimulate you? Um, I go for a walk outside sometimes when I'm thinking, but uh, no, mostly not. Uh, I, even though I, I, I um, write on a laptop, uh, I find it very uncomfortable to actually have it on my lap. So I like it on a desk. 
uh, or a table. I mean, I do write other places as well. We, we go away every January to try and, and get away from all the distractions of, of home in order to um, break the back of the book, as it were. So I go away um, and then I sit and I, I like having a view, I have to admit. I, I do like having a view and I can sit at the table, look up at the view and think and uh, then get back to it. Um, well, what, what's the view from your office window? I, I... Well, the office window, I, 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 it's quite a reasonable view. It's, it's into a sort of walled garden area. I have a swimming pool there, so I can see that. And um, um, But I can't see the comings and goings at the front door, uh, which is why I have the CCTV. Um, otherwise, I feel too isolated. Uh, but, I, I mean, I have... Um, one of the books I wrote should have been called Hospital Rooms I Have Known uh, because when my father was not well um, back in 2006, I was writing, uh, literally sitting with my laptop on my lap next to him in a hospital bed for many weeks. Um, fortunately, he recovered and uh, and um, the book got finished. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, you know, anywhere really um, – I'm actually quite good on aeroplanes, uh, not so good on trains if people are talking. When you're on aeroplanes or trains, provided that there's no noise, is there anything consistent about the, the places you write in? Is there anything that you need or are you perfectly able to just plonk your laptop down on a desk of some sort, no notes around you and just crack on? Oh, yes. I, I, I'm, I generally, the first thing I do in the day is I read back what I wrote yesterday and, uh, and usually make a few changes and things. And then so I know exactly where I am and then I get started. And, I mean, my aim is to write a 1,000 words a day, but it doesn't work like that, especially at the beginning. And I'm at the beginning of the next book now, and it's really struggle. It's a real struggle to write sort of 500 words a day, let alone a 1,000. Um and the book is 100,000 words long. So if I wrote 1,000 words a day, I'd get it done in just over three months. As it happens, it takes me six months. Um, and it's due at the end of March, so I'm, I've, I'm into it now. Uh, and uh, uh, But the target is always 1,000 words a day. And, and after you know the first couple of months, I get 1,000 words a day. Not that I work every day because I still do – other things. Um, I still go, I'm going to Ascot races on Saturday um, to sign books. And so I won't be writing that day. And and uh, there are other days when I don't write. Um, I, I, and I don't feel chained to my desk, but um, I, I know that um, I start to panic if I'm too far behind. I'm, I'm forever looking up how, how I was, where I was on the same date last year. <laughs> uh, to uh, see whether I'm ahead or behind, and at the moment uh, I'm behind. Just on the uh, the a thousand word goal, and and you're kind of getting five hundred words done more or less a day at the moment. Um, how, 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 how do you push on through that then? What? Why are you finding it sluggish at the moment? And then, well, it's always it's always sluggish at the beginning because you're 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 establishing your characters. Um, it's always more difficult to uh, – you have to spend more time thinking about them. And also you write something and you think, no, that's not quite right. So you go back and rewrite it. So it takes 
time, you're establishing your characters. By the time you get halfway through the book, I mean, I know my lead character so well by that stage that I don't really have to think about what he would be thinking about. It just comes naturally. But at the moment, I'm not only trying to establish the characters, um, I'm trying to uh, think of the uh, where the story is going to go. I mean, I've got to think of an idea, think of something that someone is trying to fix, you know, a bit of skullduggery, so I've got to sort that out. And, you know, it, it takes time to do those sort of things. I mean, I I'm, I'm, have difficulty always getting enough characters into the book. I mean, if you have uh, – I write in the first-person narrative, so my main character uh, is the narrator of the story, effectively, and, and the reader is inside the, the, that character's head. Um, and then if you only have, you know, a victim and one other, it's not very difficult for the reader to work out who done it. So um, you have to establish a, a range of characters – all of whom could set questions in the mind of the reader. I mean, I, I don't necessarily write whodunits. One of my books, um, you knew whodunit right at the beginning. And it was a matter of how, you know, the, the, char- the main characters, uh, the question was, how do I get out of this? Um, so, but if you're going to write a book which has got a, a whodunit element up to it, you've got to put enough characters in there to, um, so that it isn't too obvious. Many people speak about the, the the saggy middle of the book, around thirty, forty thousand words, when it really becomes a challenge. For you, if it's hard at the very start, at what point do you tend to really get to grips with it, and you can feel it steamrolling along, and, and making your word count isn't too much of a challenge? Well, thirty to forty thousand words. Um, I feel that you know you've um, it's not finished. Um, you're not even at the beginning of the end, as Churchill would said, but you're at, certainly at the end of the beginning. Um, and, yes, it, it, you mustn't let it sag. At least the, the intention is not to let it sag. It's, the intention is to keep the action moving quite quickly. Um, so it is uh, – uh, I, I mean, uh, I, when I get to 40,000, I'm feeling quite good. Um, it's uh, it's the first 20,000 that I find the most difficult. And then, of course, the last 20,000, well, you're on a downhill slope. I mean, uh, um, you're, you're racing towards the finish. Of course, the the difficulty is, I mean, the important thing is to make sure the, the end is right. So those last words, even though they, they would tend to spill out rather rapidly onto the page, they you have to sort of hold them back so that you – uh, get it, get it right. Because getting the, I mean, I mean, we've all read books where we put the book down and said, "Oh well, didn't think much of that," because you you loved it all the way through, so you'd read it right to the end, but you were slightly disappointed by the denouement. So that is an important bit. I spend quite a lot of time working on that, but it's not so much word count that's the problem there; it's getting it right. And at the start, when you are at this tricky beginning, and if you're if you're trying to get a thousand words done a day, but you know you're not going to get close to it. Oh, I know, I know I'm never going to get a thousand words done at the moment. Uh, well, how good are you at uh, kind of uh, accepting that that you're not going to be near your aim? And and when you are when you've hit a wall that day, when you've hit the impasse, how good are you at holding your hands up and say, right, that that's me done. We'll see how we get on tomorrow. No, I think it's more important. I sit back and try and think. 
Uh, I mean, you, 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 it's, a, it's a very much a creative process. You, you, you can't just – I mean, anyone can write a 1,000 words a day. Anyone can write 1,000 a, a, a words in a day. I mean, on anything, really. 1,000 words is not much. It's two or three pages. Um, anyone could write 1,000 words. The difficulty is writing 1,000 words today and another 1,000 tomorrow and another 1,000 the day after and another 1,000 the day after that and so on. And they've all got to link together. That's what's the difficult part. It's not the number of words you can write down in a day. It's making those words tie together with the words that are already in the book and the words that are to come. And that is the difficulty. Uh, and I spent, so if, if things are not working right, I, I don't just pack up and go. I sit and think. I sit and think, what am I trying to do? Where am I trying to get to at the moment? What, what, is, what is my end of chapter moment? Because I like to end chapters, uh, you know, a bit like EastEnders with a bit of a hang, you know, a, 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 a cliffhanger. So that I, I, I don't like the idea of readers reading to the end of the chapter and then stopping. I like them to feel they want to read on. Um, so what am I trying? Where am I trying to get to? I mean, in other words, not the, the long term thing of where is the end of the book going to be, but what am I? What little surprise am I going to try and put in at the end of this chapter just to hold my readers' interest and perhaps uh, make them not turn out the light? And uh, you know, turn the page over and read the next chapter. So, uh, little things I can look for and decide how I'm going to end a certain section or a chapter. Um, something that will uh, stimulate the the reader to to continue. I mean, we've all read, um, we've all started books and not put and not finished them. We've all started books and, and read the first few chapters and then just put the book down and said, oh, uh, you know, not interested. And the, the, that is because the reader is not interested in what happens to the character. The character needs to be, needs to go on a journey. He needs to be different at the end than he is at the beginning, or she needs to be different at the end than they are at the beginning. And they need to be affected by the, by uh, the actions which they do and others do to them during the no during the novel. So, and if you if your reader isn't interested in what happens to them, they won't finish the book. And it's the most important thing um, I think in 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 character development is that the character does develop from the start to the finish, and is changed by the by the processes of what happens to them during the book bringing it back to you when you are at this moment even though <clears throat> you've, you've published many books now so you know you can see it through and you can get it done how frustrating is it to to to, to not be able to kind of get the aimed word count done and and when you're not kind of moving through it perhaps as well as you know that you can later on how how annoying is that for you? Well, not not really. I don't. I, I'm not obsessive about the word count. I mean, I do get. I do count them. I mean, I do. I do make a, a note of my word count every day. In fact, I re um, save the book by changing the date on the manuscript so that I I could go back and see where I was on any day, 
Um, so I am quite obsessive about that. But on the other hand, I mean, take uh, um, uh, take Tuesday for example. This this last Tuesday, um, I, I I caught the train at half past ten uh, from Banbury, where she's near my home in Oxfordshire, and I came to London and I went to a um, a rather good lunch, which went on quite a long time, and I and I took the train home, and. Uh, and when I got home, I, I had something to eat, and then I went out to uh, listen to a friend who was doing a, a, a talk in the local village hall, uh, had another glass or two of red wine, and went to bed. I didn't actually write anything um, on that day. It didn't worry me. In fact, it was one of the best days um, I've had for a long time because on the train on the way up to London, I um, I didn't – have time to get a newspaper because I was a little late arriving at the station and I didn't have anything to read. And so I sat there on the train with my eyes closed thinking. And I came and I thought of an idea and, I, and I've now developed that idea and that idea is going in the book. So that became a very good day, even though my word count was zero. And if I'm having difficulty thinking something through it can, can be far more beneficial than simply getting the numbers of words on the page i mean they will come i hope in due course i mean when i go away in january last when i went away in january this year i did actually write twenty-two thousand words in 12 days now that's way over my my um required word count of of a thousand words a day I mean, that's twenty-two thousand words in 12 days it's getting on for 2,000 words a day. So I, I know that when I've done my thinking, I can then write the words. I mean, Phyllis James, P.D. James, um, dear friend of, of my father's and mine, she used to write the book very quickly because she would spend weeks and months, indeed, um, working out the relationship between every character and plotting the whole thing. She would have a a large sheet of paper on her sitting room floor, and she'd be on her hands and knees with a with a marker pen doing arrows between characters. And when she had worked out the whole storyline, she would then write it very quickly. I mean, the book would be written in three weeks um, because she knew exactly where she was going. I don't do that. I start at the beginning. I, I normally have a good idea for a beginning, and then I write the beginning so I, I – establish the characters in my head, and then the characters, in, in a strange way, sort of drive the narrative. So I start at the beginning and then work my way through, and the beginning is rather slower. Uh, but um, when you know where the story is going, just like uh, P.D. James did, it, the writing can come really quite quickly. The difficulty is the thinking. It's the It's the creating of the of the characters in the manner that you want, and also um, getting the story right. So I'm, not, I'm, I'm quite obsessive about word count, but word count is not everything. Far from it. Right. Well, I'm not a I'm not a great early bird. Um, far from it. I, I'm a, a, I like um, I like to wake up in in good order rather than being woken very early by an alarm clock. I don't get up and write 
terribly early. Uh, If I'm at my desk by nine o'clock, that's very early for me. It's more like 9.30. And then, as I said, uh, I would read through what I wrote yesterday. And then, and I would have been lying in, in bed in the morning, awake, thinking about what I was going to write today. So I would know where I was going to start. Um, because I'd perhaps spent an hour think, lying in bed thinking about it awake, and then I would get up and I'd start. And um, normally I, I would be completing something I wrote yesterday. I normally don't finish my day's work at the end of a chapter. Uh, I, I, it tends to be in the beginning, in the middle of a chapter. Um, that's for the same reason as I don't like the reader to stop at the end of a chapter. So I then uh, will write and and, and um, my wife might bring me in a cup of coffee. I mean, I normally have a slice of toast and a cup of coffee for breakfast. And then and I, my, I think my best writing times are in the morning. But sometimes it doesn't work that way at all. Um, and then I'll... Uh, uh, I'll go through to the kitchen for lunch. Um, I mean, sometimes when things are really going really well, um, I'll have a bowl of soup at my desk. But normally I, I go through to the kitchen to have lunch and have a little switch off and then go back to it after lunch and uh, and then go on and, and for the rest of the afternoon. Sometimes, uh, I mean, even if I've done my thousand words by two o'clock in the afternoon, it doesn't mean I stop. And then I always stop at quarter past five because I'm a, I watch Pointless on the television because it, may, it makes my mind switch off. And sometimes that's the end of the day. Um, uh, but, if, but if I've got things I still want to do, I, I'll continue on afterwards. And if I'm not back in the kitchen by sort of half past six, quarter to seven, my wife might bring me through a glass of red wine and say, supper will be ready in 45 minutes. And and then I will um, finish for the day and, and go and um, have supper, another glass of wine, perhaps watch a bit of television um, or a film or something. And uh, But my mind never stops. I go to sleep thinking about the story, and I wake up sometimes in the night thinking about the story. And sometimes when you go to bed, You've got a bit of a problem, you know. How is your character going to do this, or, uh, or how would he find out that without it, you know, using supernatural uh, uh, abilities? And and then, and sometimes when you sleep on it, you wake up in the morning and the solution is there. It's wonderful. Uh, times when it's proving tough for you, when the words just aren't coming out. Yeah, like all, like most of the time. <laughs> what have you learned helps you out? Uh, maybe uh, another cup of coffee at a certain time, a, a quick walk around the village. What What do you do to just get things whirring? Generally, walk around the village. But I tell you what, I, I do do. Perhaps it's slightly embarrassing. Um, I, I, I play a, a game of cards on the computer. Just switches my mind off something um, for a minute, and then when I switch it back on again, perhaps the solution will arrive. Let me just talk about your, your dad for a little bit, Felix, before we move on to the new book. Um, I, I've just got a few questions. So uh, your dad, Dick Francis, did a lot. I, it, it's not often that someone is, is a very good, very good in one field and then moves to be very good in, in another field. 
How inspirational was that to be around, to be around a, a real doer of a person, someone that set his mind to something and got stuff done? Oh, um, I mean, it was uh, very inspirational. I mean, of course, he was just, he was, I mean, he was Superman, but he was just my dad, you know. Uh, so one doesn't really understand uh, how exceptional someone is when when you're their son, uh, especially when you're a young child. I mean, I, now, of course, I appreciate it. I mean, yes, he was uh, champion jockey um, the year I was born. Um, so I grew up with people knowing my father's name. And then Devon Locke, uh, in, the, in the 1956 Grand National, thrust the name Dick Francis from the back pages to the front pages of the newspaper. And he became um, very famous. Uh, and then the, the books, of course, after that, I didn't really realize how famous he was until the day he died. And he was on the front page of every newspaper. And the BBC sent, uh, and I was in Scotland, the BBC sent a, a film crew up to record an interview on the day he died to put on the six o'clock news. So it was, um, but he was also my hero. I mean, there was a photograph of him in our house always, of him in his RAF uniform. I mean, he was a wartime bomber pilot. He flew um, uh, Wellingtons off a little-known Northamptonshire airfield called RAF Silverstone, where they now have the Grand Prix. And then he flew Lancasters. I mean, he was – I mean, who needed who needs – who needs comic heroes when you had a father like mine? Uh, so it was uh, interesting, and I lived in what I considered to be the greatest fiction factory of the 20th century. You know, I mean, often being quoted as saying that the discussion over the breakfast table wouldn't be who was taking the children to school today, but whether Sid Halley could survive the night with a 38 slug in his guts, or how much um, explosive does it take to blow up a house, and things like that. But it was normal. I mean, I was eight years old when the first novel was written, uh, so I didn't read it then, but I certainly caught up about four or five years later, and then thereafter I read them chapter by chapter as they were read, as they were written. And my mother and father worked on them together. It was the family business. Uh, and indeed, members of the family, of the wider family, were used as characters. I mean, proof about wine importing. Well, my uncle was a wine importer. Uh, I was a schoolmaster and, and appeared in Twice Shy. My brother ran an, uh, runs a uh, one of the largest horse transport businesses in the country, and he was depicted in Driving Force. My cousin is a an architect, and and um, he was used in Decider. So I mean, it was a family business, and uh, it was the most amazing uh, childhood really my mother was my mother had been in in the theater after the second world war <laughs> and she had worked with a number of actors who went on to uh, to great success on stage and and television screen in particular i mean arthur lowe was a great friend and he used to watch dad's army on it as a child he used to watch dad's, dad's army on a saturday night with Arthur Lowe as Captain Mannering, and then he'd be in our house having Sunday lunch with us. I mean, as a child, I always wondered why he wasn't wearing his uniform. <laughs> but it was, it was an, an exciting um, uh, childhood, an exciting – I mean, I, when I was 17, I used to go and make tea for Agatha Christie. Uh, I mean, what would I give to, to be able to sit down with her now and talk to her? 
now that I know now that I'm a writer. But uh, my father used to go over to see her. She lived in everyone thinks she lived in Devon. Well, she had a house holiday home in Devon, but she actually lived near Wallingford, and it was only five miles away away from where my father lived. And my father would go over. And when I got to seventeen. Uh, my father wasn't allowed to drive anywhere. I wanted to drive him all the time. So I used to drive him over to see Agatha Christie. And, um, I mean, last night I, I told you I went to see um, uh, Evan, uh, dear Evan Hansen at the Noel Coward Theatre. And I said to my wife, uh, as we were sitting down in, in the stalls ready for, before the show started, I said, I bet you I'm the only person in this theatre who actually sat next to Noel Coward and chatted to him. And that was, again, at a theatrical party as a result of my mother. So, interesting life. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We'll be back with more from Felix Francis in just a sec. Uh, behind the curtain, I've had to re-record quite a lot of this because I keep calling him Francis Francis or Francis Felix. Uh, a little stumble, but it's Felix Francis on the show. and um, We're back with him in just a sec. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, um, if you're learning anything along the way that is helping the way that you tell stories, the way that you plan your day, you can always support the show, pledge and become a backer at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. For that, you get our eternal thanks, you get merch, you get bonus content perhaps, there is even a way for your book to sponsor this show and it doesn't cost a lot. I know that times are tight, if you've got a a, a few quid, a couple of dollars that you can spare every month that you can afford to send my way, I really appreciate it. It keeps this podcast going, it keeps us bringing you these chats with the best, the most prolific and phenomenal sellers as often as we can. To do that, to help us out, Become a backer and support us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then with Felix Francis chatting about his new novel, 
hands down. Uh, do you know where the phrase hands down comes from, by the way? You know, if you win something hands down, maybe in a boxing ring or a football match or something like that, it actually comes from horse racing. When someone leading the pack was so far clear, uh, I guess in, in, a, in a move of bravado and some arrogance, I'm not sure, or just kindliness to the horse, really, uh, they would loosen the reins. They would take their hands off the slack and just let the horse canter home without furiously whipping it because they'd won at such a distance they had literally won hands down there you go bonus facts and writing tips on the podcast we talk about the new book also how much he mixes things up when he's writing challenging his style to keep things fresh also you can hear how much he thinks about getting new readers um with his dad the series they've sold uh, like over 80 million copies or something ridiculous there's written over 50 books and he's back with the new one. It's his 16th one. How much does he think about getting new readers? And we jump into it talking about his dad, Dick Francis, and how much working with him and learning from him affected what he wanted to write. You know, you might say I learned it at my father's knee. I was, it, it was, he started writing, he wrote his first book when I was, uh, when I was three or four, um, that was his uh, autobiography, for his racing autobiography. And then he wrote for the Sunday newspaper in the Sunday Express for, for 16 years. And he always said that that taught him to write because the um, the editor would remove any superfluous words because uh, they needed more, they needed the space for the advertising more than, than, than for the articles. Um but I suppose so. But it, it did get to be more formal when I when I um, um, I mean I went into teaching and, and taught A level physics for seventeen years, and then I um, I left that because I, I'd been managing my father's affairs, and and it was getting to be too difficult to do both. And I said to my father, "What you need is a is a manager, full time manager." And he said, would I be prepared to give up my day job to become his full-time manager? And uh, uh, and I thought about that for a while, and, and I realized that my parents were getting on and they needed help. So I left teaching um, uh, back in 1991 to, uh, to become my parents' full-time manager. Um, and I also had enough time to... Um, become a businessman as well, which was very exciting. Um, running a, a an, an expedition company of leadership training for young people, so that was uh, that was fun. But but I did become their manager, and I would travel with them when they were doing um, book signing tours and stuff. You know, we'd go to America and Australia, and and so the, the, I had the chance to sit down with 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 them both and discuss. Uh, the process. I mean, my father um, uh, had ideas pouring out of him like water over a waterfall, and he would write them all down. And my, my mother would then polish the prose. And she had a, she had a great belief in um, the rhythm of a sentence. Um, and she, we discussed this a lot. And and I feel that I do it now. In other words, I want the reader to find reading the my work easy. I mean, some reviewers have said, oh, well, the Francis books, they're just easy reading. Well, I work very hard to make them easy reading. Um, I'm not of the opinion that literature needs to be uh, difficult. 
uh, and because if something isn't difficult, then it's not literature. is not a, a view that I subscribe to. Uh, but um, so I, I suppose that there was a sort of formal, um, but it wasn't that I did it with a view to taking over. I did it with a view to understanding the process. And then you take take over the characters, you take over the the stories later on when your dad has passed away and, and you're writing. Well, I, uh, it was before he passed away, actually. I mean, I didn't... I, mostly I create new characters and I certainly didn't have any storylines to, to, to work with. My father left no storylines at all. Um, well, I will tell you briefly that... The, the, I mean, I've said it a few times, so... Um, people may have heard it before, but um, when my father was, he, he retired in the year 2000. My parents retired. Uh, the last book was called Shattered, and my goodness, it was well-named because they were shattered by the experience. And indeed, I had, had, I had helped them with the last third of the book to get it finished uh, because they were, begin- they were panicking and running out of energy. So they announced their retirement, and uh, sadly, my mother's long and happy retirement lasted three weeks, and she succumbed to a heart attack. So Shattered certainly was one book too far, as far as uh, that was concerned. So everyone thought, well, that's the end of the Dick Francis books. The, you know, um, uh, There will be no more. And there weren't any. There wasn't a new book. Uh, that, I mean, Shattered was published in two thousand, and there was no book in two thousand and one, two, three, four, or five. And in two thousand and five, my father's literary agent had lunch with me, which was not unusual because, as I said, I was managing my father's affairs. And he said, uh, "Felix, we've got a problem, and that is that all your father's books are going to go out of print." I mean, books don't go out of print now because they're print on demand, but even in 2005, that hadn't happened. And he said, they're all out of print. And uh, he said, it's not because the stories aren't good enough, because of course they are. It's simply because there hasn't been a new book for five years and people are forgetting. And all the, the buyers for the big bookshops, that is the people who are corporate, buying the books that they will sell uh, to the public. Um, They're all straight out of university. They don't remember Dick Francis' books. There hasn't been one in all the time they've they've been uh, working. So they're all going to go out of print. And he said, what we need is a new hardback. Well, I looked at him as if he was completely crazy. I mean, my mother had been dead for five years now, and my father was now 85, and God bless him, he could hardly remember what he had for breakfast, yet alone enough to write an, an, a book. And the agent, so I said, you were not going to get one. And the agent said, well, no, I'm actually asking your permission to ask an existing crime writer, an established crime writer, whose name I won't tell you because he was never asked, um, if he would write a Dick Francis novel by so-and-so. Well, I must have had a few glasses of red wine by then because I said to the agent, well, before you ask anyone else, I would quite like to have a go. And he didn't roll his eyes or laugh. He simply said, I'll give you two months to write two chapters and then we'll see. And he openly admits that he expected to get the permission he wanted to ask who he wanted after those two months. But when I sent the chapters in to him, 
Uh, we had another lunch, and he said, well, there's two things you've got to do, Felix. One, you better go and talk to your father. And secondly, you better get on and finish this. So I did both of those. The, the first one was more difficult than the second because my father wasn't very keen on the idea. But then I, he read the chapters, and he got very excited. And the book came out in September 2006 as a Dick Francis novel. didn't have my name on it anyway. I wasn't allowed to say that for eight years. And um, it went, it sold, of course it sold. It had Dick Francis on the cover. Um, but I was terrified that all the reviews would say, Dick has lost it. Uh, but they didn't. They all said, the master is back. And the publisher said to me, we want another one. And I've been writing them ever since. And I've now, and, and hands down, my latest is number 16, uh, and so that's 16 books in 16 years. And I'm working on number 17. Uh, how was that transition then? Uh, you, you've been given <clears throat> two months uh, under some pressure, I would say, because y y you want to do this. You want to take on your, your father's legacy. Uh, how was that process of doing this yourself? Well, I decided that I would use Sid Halley because my father had used him three times before. Therefore, it seemed but it was slightly easier to use an existing character. So the first thing I did was I read the three stories that Sid Halley had been in prior to when I was writing. And, um, and then I set about, I wrote in the first person narrative and I didn't purposely copy. I didn't need to because it's how I, it's what I'd learned all the time. And I'd been <clears throat> with my parents. So, um, and, People, the book came out as a Dick Francis. I mean, I was the, the next book was going to come out as a Dick Francis as well, but the Americans took fright and decided that it had to have my name on it as well. So it had Dick Francis on the front in huge letters and underneath in the smallest font they could find and Felix Francis. But I wrote the book. Uh, I mean, people still say to me, how many storylines did your father leave you? Well, the answer is none. Um and, of course, I created new characters. I have used Sid three times now, and he's, he's in hands down. But um, that's three times in 16 books, and there's been lots of other characters as well. And uh, so it, it, it was daunting, really. I mean, I had a sort of unofficial um, committee of uh, my father's editor, um, literary agent uh, and uh, past publisher who would read the book as I was, would read the manuscript and, and, and at that stage and check that it was, that I wasn't doing any damage to the, um, the reputation. And in fact, I said to my, um, a, a, my father's literary agent who became my literary agent, I said, um, I don't want to do him any damage. And my, the agent said, don't be ridiculous you're giving him immortality. Well, I'm not sure that I'm giving him immortality, but I'm certainly keeping the Dick Francis name alive. And interestingly, two years after I started, Penguin Books reset, rejacketed, and republished all the backlist, and they're still all in print. So at least I must be doing something right. <laughs> uh, through the course of these 16 books, for the, the first few, you were writing still as Dick Francis, and then there was a there was a period. Well, only, only one came out as Dick Francis. The other, 
then they came out as joint. Yeah, that, 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 that was right. So at, at, through these last 16 books, how have you felt your style has changed? I'm not saying you were aping your dad's style at all, but early on that there might have been a more of a conscious decision to be closer to what had come before. And, and how has that changed as you've moved on now? Well, I'm not... Um... I, I feel my I feel my style is slightly lighter. Does that make sense? I feel that there, I I, I uh, like to think there's a, there's slightly more amusement in them. Um, but I, I I'm very aware that the, the books still have a Dick Francis novel written across the front, and that's my choice. Not the publishers insisting on it. It is my choice because uh, I feel that um, I feel that he's still very much part of my books, and I, as much as I feel a part of all the books, um, going all the way back. I mean, I've written bits of Dick Francis books since I was seventeen. I wrote the I designed the bomb that blew up an aeroplane in Rat Race. Don't say that too loudly. Uh, and uh, I uh, wrote the computer program in Twice Shy, and I did a lot of the meteorology in Second Wind. Uh, so um, I, uh, it, it's you know, it's it, as as I said, my mother said it was the family business, and it was. We were all involved in it. Um, and do I purposely change my style? I did to start with, but now it's my style. So now I don't even think about that. I mean, there are certain aspects of all, of all Dick Francis novels which I would not go against. I mean, they're all about – they all have racing, horse racing or, or horses in them somewhere. Um, not that you need to know anything about horses. I mean, you might learn a bit, but you don't need to know anything because the books are not about horses. They're about people. Uh, racing is simply the canvas against which I paint the story. And I do do that. I continue to do that. Uh, and I continue to write in the first-person narrative. Uh, so, but uh, other than that, I really don't – I mean, I also, I wouldn't do racing down. I mean, I've got people, pretty nasty people in some of the books who are trying to fix racing and, and you know, where there's a lot of money and gambling – um, then there's always someone trying to tip the odds in their favour, you know, whether by fair means and foul or foul, mostly foul in my books. Uh, but I won't, I won't um, undermine the institution of horse racing uh, because it, it, it's a love of mine. It was a love of my father's. And in that respect, I suppose I, uh, I would respect his um, view and, uh, but uh, I can do pretty much everything else. Uh, I'm always interested talking to writers who have who have published quite a lot of books. So you you've done sixteen now. The uh, the, the Dick Francis uh, series and, and name has has got over fifty books. They've been sold over eighty million times in forty languages. So there is an audience that are very invested and, and clamouring for more. But you as a writer, when when you how much are you trying to experiment yourself and maybe 
change things up just to keep things fresh for you and to challenge yourself more as a, as a writer moving on to the 17th and then the 18th novel just to stop them from being, uh, I, I, I guess, for want of a better phrase, a formulaic and standard? Well, uh, it's, an, it's an interesting question. In the book two ago that I wrote, Iced, uh, which was about the uh, the Cresta Run and uh, and White Turf in San Moritz, where they race on the frozen lake <clears throat> in the winter time, and it's it's called White Turf uh, because they you know it, they're, they're racing on the, on ice. Um, I, I in that book I did set myself a task. I set it to to write the book in two different uh, interwoven time. Uh, zones as it were the same character narrating but he's narrating as uh, as he is now um in his 30s um and all of that is written in the present tense and also looking back and um to w- to what he was like when he was uh, a child and when he was 18, 19, starting out as a jockey, and that's written in the past tense. So and they're interwoven, and I, and I thought this would be quite a, a challenge. I did find it a challenge, but I found it a stimulating challenge um, to do because normally the books are written in the first person in the past tense. Uh, and to, to actually write um, a large chunk of the book in the present tense, um, I found... Uh, uh, interesting and stimulating. I mean, it, the writing in the in 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 the tense is is quite important. I mean, um, the Wolf Hall um, series of books, which um, I mean, sad that we've lost her recently. Uh, they're all written in the in the present tense, um, uh, and so um, it, it, writing in in tenses is quite difficult at times. Um, but uh, I. Uh, um, so I, I played around with it in that book, and, and I found I kept finding I was I was slipping out of the of the right tense. So I was, had to be very careful in reading it through to make sure that I got the right tense in the right place. Uh, Felix, was that 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 decision was was it made because that's what the this idea required, or was it more the idea was built around uh, just to challenge yourself as a writer to see if you could do this? It was partly driven by the storyline, but it was partly driven by a, a, a an intention to uh, um, to to try this out. I haven't gone back to it since. I've written um, hands down is not the, the same, and indeed the book I'm writing at the moment is not the same. But I but I won't say I won't do it in the in the future. I, I quite enjoyed it, and and certainly there are things that I do to um um you know test myself i suppose is the answer so that's it. and i i'm very proud of iced i i i feel it's a very um satisfying book from from the author's point of view and fortunately it's proved um pretty satisfactory from the reader's point of view as well i mean the first thing i look at is is a, a setting and when Iced was finished um, and finally sent off to the printers after having done all the proofs and the, and the edit and the proofreading and the copy edit and all sorts of things like that, 
Uh, my wife and I went um, <clears throat> up to Yorkshire to uh, Swinton Park for a few days' indulgence in the spa. And, and when I got there, I looked at the map and see where, where actually we were. And uh, I noticed that Midland was only 10 miles away. And I knew that Midland was a center for horse racing, horse race training uh, in the north. And I'd never been there. So um, one morning I got up and went off after breakfast and stood in the in the town square while horses went past me on their way to and from the gallops and and uh, went and had a look at the at the huge castle uh, Richard III's castle in Midland and uh, well <clears throat> I went and knocked on the door of a trainer I knew vaguely and and he welcomed me in and and I walked around his stable yard with him, and then I, we went up on the gallops and watched the horses at exercise. And and by you know by the end of the first day up there, almost I had an idea that this was going to be where I was going to set the book. So, having got the setting, and I knew that I, w- I knew I was going to have a Sid Halley book um, because I had decided to bring him back. And when I finished him the book with Bloodline, um which he was, no, refusal rather, when he was, the, the last line of refusal with Sid, which was 2013, the last line is the, uh, his, his uh, prospective surgeon ringing him up saying, uh, his transplant surgeon ringing him up and saying, Sid, we've, we've found you a hand, and that was the end of the book. So I knew that I was going to have to bring him back, and this time he was going to come back with a transplant, He'd ha- a, a new hand, because he lost his hand in a racing fall in the first book. So um, this was um, – and he had a – in many of the stories, he's had a a, 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 a prosthesis, a myelectric prosthesis, uh, a hand that works with, um, with sensations in his body but with electric motors in the hand. So this time I decided he was going to have a – he was going to have had a transplant. And so I had this character, and one of the most important traits about that character was going to be the, the, the question of the new hand. And now I had a setting, so all I needed was the evil deed, as it were. And that came slowly over the summer, uh, um, and so I started work a year ago with that, and now it is out. And um, um, so it, it very often it starts with the setting, uh, and and then and then what hap- and then what happens for you, Felix? Sorry. So you've got this. You've got you've got the setting. You you know you want to bring Sid back. How much do you need to know before you feel comfortable to start tapping away? Oh, uh, quite a lot more than that. But um, uh, you know you, what you're looking for is fairy dust, uh, something which you're going to sprinkle on your setting and your character and suddenly will appear the idea for um, some wrongdoing and where your character can create it. If I knew where it came from, I would bottle it and sell it. Um, it is one of those processes in which you just have to think about everything around it and hope that something turns up. <laughs> and it really is just like that. But, you know, um, so far so good. Uh, I've, 
haven't had um I've never been completely stuck. I mean, I've been stuck pretty much for the whole of the summer with the, with my new book. But I mean, I had a great idea on the train on Tuesday, as I said. So I'm now able to get on with it. Uh, now, you're, you're a writer and obviously experienced with business, with managing estates, with kind of getting new books out there and doing all of that side of things. Uh, just so in in my in a form of what I do doing this podcast the, the aim is to always get more people to listen so you're thinking about other ways that you can make that happen what's the the comparison for you as an author are you always trying to get more people to read these in in more places are you perfectly happy with the people who always buy your books still buying your books like well, what's the, what's that process of and and the aim of trying to get it out there, being so focused on getting more people to, to read, or are you not really that concerned? Oh, yeah, very concerned. I mean, uh, the, the Dick Francis readership are, are pretty aged, and a lot of them are popping off. And uh, so, of course, I'm always – I mean, every author is, is wanting to be you – know, no author can understand how people – how everyone doesn't read their book. I mean um, – and the more you want, you know, the more the merrier. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm always trying to strive for new, for new readers. And and um, I wish that some of the readers who read my father's books, who, who say, "Oh, I read all your father's," and I said, "Have you read any of mine?" They said, "No." And I think, why not? You know, in fact, what I then say to them, "Did you read Under Orders?" Oh, yes, I love that. And I say, "Well, I wrote that." So. Um, you know, I'm trying to encourage them to have a go at some of the others. Uh, yeah, we all, everyone wants uh, new readers. Um, of course you do. And, uh, and we, we do marketing for that. And one of the exciting things that is on the horizon is that I have signed a, uh, a deal with a, a te- television production company to uh, um, establish a uh, – uh, a Dick and Felix Francis series. Um, we're still a long way from it happening. We've got the first draft of the, the first script. And, um, you know, I'm hopeful. I'll believe it when I see it. But I'm uh, I'm hopeful that that will, will work. And uh, if it does that, that one of the advantages is that it will inevitably increase the number of people who read the books, which is uh, really what the, the whole purpose of the exercise is about in the first place. Thank you so much to Felix Francis for coming on the show. His new book is Hands Down. You can get a copy to see what Sid Halley is up to this time. Uh, next week, I'm a bit loathed and tentative now, we should be talking to the award-winning Caribbean author Christina Bendek. But again, who knows? Hopefully that will come out right. It's only gone wrong a couple of times in over 200 episodes now. Hopefully that should be fine. And you can hear from Christina next week on the show. In the meantime, you can support us at Patreon, become a backer, help the show, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. You can follow us on Twitter, we are at writerspod there, and let us know what you think using the contact form at writersroutine.com. I would love to hear from you. Uh, And we'll be back next week with, hopefully, Christina Bendek on the show. Until then, I'll say goodbye. Bye! Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.